Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. Here's your chance to win your own personal video message from Martin McClough, courtesy of Celebrity Video Messages. I don't work with clowns, I only work with kings. For your chance to win, just answer this question. In minutes, how quickly can Martin metabolise a pint? Do you think I've got better things to do? Email WTAFthiscountry at hotmail.com with your answer. Closing date is the 19th of September. Best in the West. And remember, you can get your own celeb video message from Martin and loads more celebs at celebvm.com. Top notch. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hi, this is Sue, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck! Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF, a, a This Country podcast. God, can't believe I messed it up. Look, I'm sitting in front of a professional, and for the first time I mess up the introduction. Never mind. First... He's the man who has just come back from Farmer Jenkins' farm, where he's been getting free potatoes in return for votes. X Factor has gone down a lot since I last watched it. It's Neil. Uh, very true, very true. And uh, I'll sell you a pack of spuds whenever you need them. <laughs> Thank you very much, Neil. Now, our superfan guest this week is a TV and radio legend. He took over from the equally legendary Jimmy Young's Radio 2 show, is presenter of Eggheads, as well as his Daily Channel 5 show. He's covered politics, elections, won Sony Awards. He's danced on Strictly and is currently trying to change the law so that there could be more hours in the day so he can do even more stuff and put us all to shame. <laughs> Please welcome the one and only Jeremy Vine. Yay. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here, guys. Thank you. Well, it's oh, an absolute you. pleasure for you, um, for for us to have you here, Jeremy. Um, with a lot of super fans, we always like to start with where this country. How did it get on your radar? How did you find out about it? Really interesting. I've got uh, two two daughters. One is they're now 16 and 13. But when my youngest was about 11. I showed her the first episode of League of Gentlemen, which is actually a little bit out of her age range, really. And, I, and she loved it. 
And I said, I'm not sure this is quite age appropriate. I might, as a responsible dad, have to have to um, pause on this. And then I was looking for something similar. Actually, interestingly, I, I mean, there's no question in my mind that Spinal Tap is the funniest film ever made. No question. So I'm very open to a mockumentary. Mm. And Anna and I were sitting, so she's 11, nearly 12. We're sitting on the sofa and I said, let's try this country. And this was before there was any word of mouth. And we, it was just luck. We were just on the iPlayer and we turned it on. And we got, it was the first one where he gets really cross about what well, he sets fire to everything. What was it, a scarecrow competition? A scarecrow, yes, yeah. scarecrow, very first and episode, it, yeah. Exactly, and the vicar, you know, obviously that brilliant character, the vicar. And uh, we just thought we, we, we could be quite into this. So we watched the, the first series almost as it was coming on stream. And we thought it was our little secret. And then it got really annoying when everyone else found out about it, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny you say that because we've we felt the same because we've known Daisy and Charlie for quite some time. And we knew Daisy, what was back in 2013 when it was originally called Kerry. And it was, uh, it was, ba- it was all ITV, it wasn't BBC. And when we found out about it, we thought, oh, this is like, this is like our little secret, you know. And then when it all of a sudden was being made and the BAFTAs and you sort of think, oh, no, we've got to share this with people now. And it almost feels like you lost ownership of it a little bit. It's true. And this is the the same situation in reverse with with my favourite band, one of my favourite bands, Magazine. Now, Magazine were massive. And unless you're 55 years old like me, you, you won't have known them. But in about... 1980, 79 and 80, they were extraordinary, but they never quite broke through, right? So, and, and it seemed to me like there was some sort of clerical mistake whereby Simple Minds <laughs> became famous and Magazine didn't, and, and Magazine were better. And now I wrestle with this issue of, am I happy that they're my secret band who I love and no one else knows, or is it just grossly unfair? So I, I, I think I would argue that if, if it remained unknown, and, and by the way, that would mean no series two. So mm. you'd have missed out on that. Then you would be for the rest of your life saying there was a brilliant series and no one else has heard of it. And I think that's worse. That's the magazine situation. So I think the, the fact that it explodes after and long after you discovered it, then I think that's probably ideal. But it is a problem. I know what you mean, because it's like being into the human league at the, all these 80s bands because they did a great first album and then suddenly everyone piles in and it's infuriating. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It is. I, I think you know, now you mentioned it. I think let's just have one series. No one watches it, and it's the secret between the three of us. That's yeah, that's a good. <laughs> but and by the way, it? my daughter Anna has just come in. She's oh. given me a cup of tea, and I, I did that thing of catching her eye to say, "Would you like to be?" And she's got a bit shy, but all um, oh, right, she's okay. A, she's a mega fan, so there we are. Oh, bless her. I was going to say, Jeremy, so what was it about the um, series then that actually hooked you in? I mean, speaking to other people, they could resonate with the boredom and the things like that when they were growing up. What was it about the show for you? I've got, as I say, I've got this thing about mockumentaries. Mm. There are very few good ones. Obviously, we've had that breakthrough with the Bross thing, which is still, I still don't know whether it's called When the Screaming Stops. Uh, It's it's foxed everyone, because just when you think they're sending themselves up, there's then this incredibly moving bit where they talk about the death of their sister. So I, I, I'm still confused about how that was that Bross thing made as a serious documentary and everyone thought it was funny. I don't know. But anyway, it's a very interesting area. Spinal Tap, as I say, the funniest film. And um, I think what got me was just the sheer lack of haste 
in the way it was delivered. So everything now, every frame now is three seconds, isn't it? Every shot mm -hmm. is three seconds long. And if you we watched The Born Identity last night, I should think the shots in that are one second long. <laughs> then you turn on this country and they have this great opening joke, which is that all the captions are on the screen for twice as long as they need to be. Uh, and, and it goes to a scene, and I don't even remember what the opening scene is, but nothing happens. And nothing happens throughout it. And the, I mean, the biggest drama in the whole of the two series is when the vicar decides to leave the parish, basically. Oh, and the theft thing from the, the, the sports club as well. But apart from that, nothing happening is very... Um, avant-garde now because because what they do now look at think of coronation street think of eastenders you know eastenders they had someone buried alive coronation street they had a train crash onto the set how often does that happen <laughs> and in this it's such a relief nothing happens mm. Mm. I think it's it's also the generation that I'm going to sound like a real old fart now, but it's the generation of now. You look on YouTube and it is two minute videos, three minute videos, or a ten minute video with five adverts. So it's cut up into two minute chunks. Whereas, yeah. whereas it was it was nice to watch a sitcom where it was a half hour sitcom. There was no breaks. It was very some of it was quite gentle. You look at open all hours and things like that. I think it's a bit of a throwback in the fact that it is. It, uh, you know, look at the oven space episode where it is basically the two of them sat there waiting for some turkey dinosaurs and a, and a pizza to cook. And that is it. <laughs> Yet there's comedy gold in that. You know, is, yeah. are, are you a fan of like more of the older sitcoms as well? Some of the Well, I, I suppose my two favourites of all time, this is very predictable, are Forty Towers and The Office. But they're, in a way, they're opposites, aren't they? Because Forty Towers mm. has laughter, albeit real audience laughter. And it's so precisely scripted with a razor blade. And the office is much more, you know, you've got to, you've got to understand the characters before you can laugh. And in a way, it's not about David Brent's one-liners. It's about David, who David Brent was. And I suppose, actually, this is much more in the office-y frame of things. We've gone away from punchlines, haven't we, really? Yeah. I, there was, um, they did release, just to show what a fan I am, they released, I think, off-cuts or scenes that weren't used or whatever recently. And Anna and I watched that. And I, and I had, I thought some of them were really funny, but I, I mean, I was trying to work out why they'd cut them out. And I think some of them were a little bit punchliney. They were a little bit old school humor. They were almost like sketches with an ending. Mm. And I don't think they like that. They want to do it all through character. So I know we sound very serious about it, but you know, when something works, it's so rare for comedy to really, really work. It's, you almost don't want to take the back off it and look at the mechanism, mm. but, um, yeah, it's just the two of them. It's the mother you never see. It's the poor old vicar who's going to try forever to turn their lives around. And they're just going to use him, but in a very benign way, maybe he's using them as well. It's, and it's that awful woman, the, the book club, who wrecks the book club by being such a narcissist. Is it Wendy? I can't remember. Oh, her Mandy. Name. Big Mandy. Mad Big Mandy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, we, we go on holidays to Devon and we go down to this little village in Devon called Tipsus the John. And um, it's the opposite where I am now is, is West London, you know, it's the usual kind of London crazy, whatever. Um, and so I do have a little window onto rural life and, and how different it is. And of course, a lot of what we watch on, on the TV is, is very urban. So to have a little vantage onto what Britain is like outside the cities is, is really good. Mm. Well, and it is typical country life, especially for the youth, where nothing happens for them. Yeah. There is nothing for them. And more and more, I suppose, has been taken away from this, these sort of rural areas now. Yeah, I suppose what's missing, though, is that they would 
have had a digital life because that's what kids have now. And I, I mean, I can't, I know they've got, they're probably too poor to have any kit, but I almost think that no one is in that position. Everyone's got some piece of kit. And mm. I just worry that the, the real version of Kerry and Curtin would actually be on their screen all the time. Whereas what they're having is a bit more like a 70s child where they try, they find a dead bird and they try to work out if it's still alive. That takes an hour of their day, you know, yeah. or they try to fly a kite. And this is one of the, off the scenes that was cut out. They're trying to fly a kite and, you know, she just can't get it moving. And then he, he tells her there's got to be wind and it's complete <laughs> revelation. <you know? laughs> God knows why they cut that scene out. But mm. I do think, I worry that the equivalent is even worse now, which is that not only have you got nothing going on, but you've got the digital world to show you what everyone else is doing. But yeah. they seem to not be spoiled by that. It almost sometimes feels to me like it's almost, especially Kerry, it's like she's living in the Truman Show. It's like yeah. if she, she feels if she walks a little bit too far at one particular direction, she's going to like hit her head on a wall and because there's nothing past the village. The village yeah. is her life. Whereas um, Curtin, I think, has got a little bit more ambition than that. You know, he wants to know what the real world is like, as he said to, I think it was to the vicar's son, you know, he comes from Bristol. Oh my God, that <laughs> seems, seems like it's like another world. It's another planet and he doesn't understand that there's somewhere else that might be a little bit bigger and has got other things. I think London would crack his brain open. I don't think he's oh, quite understood. Totally. <laughs> yeah, there's, he... there's a brilliant episode where it starts, he's playing practical jokes on the bus driver. So he That's... calls the bus <laughs> and then runs off. And then he actually needs the bus and it won't stop. Yeah. And when he finally, and then he has to walk for miles. And you're right, it's all that, that walk where they basically walk and walk and they still get nowhere yeah. is their lives. But mm. I think it's interesting because just when you think it's just silly, you then get into this situation with, with um, Kerry and her dad and, and the fact that he's obviously really brutalised her and she still loves him and all she wants him to do is say he loves her and, he, and he, all he ever does is uses her and he's utterly Trumpian, you know. Mm. And I sort of feel, yeah, I just feel, gosh, I'm, I'm enjoying the comedy more because I feel it's real. So, mm. yeah, Tr Truman Show is a great, a great example of what the hell would happen if they, because they get in the, they sort of casually lift off the vicar once, don't they? And they get him to drive them somewhere. And they spend one whole episode just waiting at a train station, but they're waiting for someone to arrive. They're not leaving. Yeah. And you always wonder what would happen if they bump into the scenery at the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think as a comedy, though, it would work if they left their surroundings, though? That's the problem, isn't it? It's very dangerous for that. I mean, you know, the, the famous phrase, jumping a shark, of course, comes from Happy Days, where, as I understand it, having had many successful series, they thought they would actually have somebody... I don't. I never saw this episode, but did someone actually have to jump over a shark? Is that Fonzie? Yeah, from? yeah. Fonzie uh, water skied over a shark. Yeah, yeah, and that basically collapsed the whole thing. Yeah. And similarly, there was a there was a, a Tarzan in New York. I think again was the end of that franchise. So I would be very wary of taking them outside the rural area. I mean, can you imagine? Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. And also, I don't think it'd be very believable because I think that kids in their position would be very wired into what you know, big cities alike, whether it, wherever their closest, I guess their closest one would probably be Exeter. Mm. Um, and I think they, they'd handle that, actually, because they would be connected. The lack of kit is, it is something odd. They, they go into the living room and they turn the TV on and then they watch what is being broadcast at that moment, which <laughs> yeah. nobody ever does. <laughs> and then their mum shouts out, you know. But then if you, if you really microscopically look into it, in the last episode the very last episode, Kerry says that she's never watched the documentary that she's in. 
No, that's yeah. on. That's I was, but no. Then again, I suppose she could watch it on BBC One, couldn't she? I'm trying. I'm getting really nerdy about it now, thinking. But it was only on BBC Three, which is a digital channel. But no. Yeah, I, yeah. I found that line curious because I thought she would definitely have watched it because yeah. to her that would be approaching celebrity. Absolutely. But you do have the same thing in the office where that you can see they're tangling with this idea that the cameras are always there and, and Brent is going to have a relationship with the crew. But sometimes it doesn't really work for him to be aware of them. And so they never quite resolve that. And similarly, even in Fleabag, you think of at the end, Phoebe Waller-Bridge does this glance at the camera and she says, don't, don't follow this time, you know. And that, if, if it had to go beyond that, it would be problematic. So I'm just wondering, hey, Anna, are you there? Do you want to come stay high for a minute, love? This is going to be like Kerry, Kerry's mum now. I'm just get shouting. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, so this Hello, is Anna. Hello, Anna. Lovely. We're having but a great so, chat about yes, this. Yes, come and join us. So, Anna... What did you think when your dad made you watch this country for the first time? <laughs> oh, no, it was not a thought. It was not made me watch. I was very voluntary. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Right. Okay. Okay. I hadn't and, seen I mean, it before. I hadn't seen it before, yeah. so we discovered it together, yeah. He kept telling me how inappropriate it was and that I shouldn't be allowed to watch it again, but, you know, I just kind of make us watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I call the neighbours thing. Is like, in neighbours, if someone said you're not allowed to go out with that person, they always went out with... So you always do the opposite that your parents yeah. tell you. So that's the, that's the way... To, so what, who's your favourite character, Anna? I can't like they're all just I do love the vicar you know he is he is probably one of my favorites but then they're all nice I don't know I can't pick one you know my favorite scene you think about oh the one my favorite scene is the one where they have the book club okay um you know I think is it Mandy right yeah I always forget her name and she just tells him her stories that she's written but they're all just uh, really interesting Well, we spoke to we spoke to uh, Paul and we spoke that sorry the vicar and um, Big Mandy on previous episodes, and they said that they didn't know how they got through that that scene because they just kept laughing. It was so ridiculous <laughs> that they just could not do anything but laugh all the time. Neil, you were going to say well, something? They, do you know, oh, so do you, do you know if they add lib a lot of it, or is a lot of it scripted, or what? They do sometimes, but a lot of it. I think it's like um, a lot of comedy shows like that where they will do it as it's on the page. And then if they've got time, they'll just run through a few things. Um, I, and I know that da- that Daisy is, is um, well, they've all been very good at doing, adding little bits that will just make someone else crack up, which is, I think it, it's, corpsing is one of those things on those kind of shows. You can imagine it just happens all the time. It must be terrible. Yeah. They get any work done at all. Do you remember I, I, I sent you that message from them? I was I was I, I was in, was crazy. I was in Radio <laughs> Two and and I went in the, this is days before Corona and I walked in the lift and they were both in there and I said oh, really? oh my god this is insane can you give it my daughter a shout out? But what was so funny that they went into character. So Kerry said uh, or Curtin said you shouldn't be watching this show. Uh, it's not age appropriate. Police could get involved. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great trip, wasn't it? Yeah. I know you've got to go. And it's really awesome you as well. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> yeah. nice Lovely to, to you, speak Anna. to you. Yes, thank you. Oh, there you go. Wonderful. Well, I was going to ask. I mean, it's it's a great thing when because you know when you think about when we were kids. Uh, well, me myself, you know, many years ago. Um, so few you could programs you could share with your parents, you know. This mm-hmm. and and it's very precious when you've got teenagers to find something that you both enjoy. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. I was going to ask Jeremy whether Anna was keen on Mandy's tattoos. I can't remember that. Uh, was there a lot of effing and blinding in? There? No, no, no. She had her own tattoo book when she was going to give Kerry the tattoos. Do you remember that episode? 
oh, hang on, yes, okay, no, I've, I've, I don't know why I don't remember that, because I thought I remember that. Uh, either, either Grant Mitchell or the bloke off EastEnders if you put glasses on him. Oh, <laughs> 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 yes, okay, I've got it now. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I think there was, um, the. I, I did interview Paul Shahidi, the vicar, for my Channel 5 show, and um, I can't remember what the circumstances was, but I, I said, look, what, what would you say if to, to Kerry and Curtin if they were struggling with, with lockdown, you know? And he said something like, I, I think I'd say, look, let's, let's try to just talk about it, but maybe with a little bit less effing and jeffing. <laughs> 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 uh, one of the nicest, nicest people in the world, Paul Shahidi, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about this country, but let's uh, talk a little bit about you. Now, in regards to you walking into um, Jimmy Young's shoes, now, how daunting must that have been? Because he, I mean, how many years had he been broadcasting on radio when you let you, you took over? I'm just trying, I think he was 29 on that show. Um, and he was, I think, 83 years old uh, when he, I mean, that's an incredible thing because my, my grandmother was in a nursing home at 83 and, and she wasn't able to recognise everybody, but Jimmy was on the air for two hours a day, which is extraordinary. And I was quite a bit younger, I was in the 37 or something. So to me, it was an, almost a double generation shift. And I was, at the time, I was probably less bothered about it than I should have been because I'd come from Newsnight and I wasn't really aware of what was going on. He was, he was cross about it, though. And I think it's, it's a very tricky one, that, when if you get removed, even if you're 83, you're going to be cross. And oh, the question right. is whether you show your cross or not. You know? And I think it's quite a good, good thing to think about before it happens. And it turns out we all misjudge people. You know, we think that if you're very old, you won't mind. But actually, if you're very old, you mind more. And, yeah, I just think as every day goes by, I have more respect for the guy. To be on the air two hours a day, never make a mistake, really, with incredible energy up to the very last day. Uh, extraordinary, you know. And as to take it over, I guess it's just one of those crazy BBC things where you end up tailgating the greats. You know, I remember, I mean, because I love politics and news broadcasting, I always used to hero worship Robin Day, who's the great, the first great interviewer before Paxman, who was always extremely rude <laughs> to yeah. interviewees, you know. And I was running down the street at Westminster and I saw him standing in the street and I sort of pulled up. I was running to a story somewhere and I said, um, I just want to say I, I admire everything you do. And he said, uh, and I admire everything you do, but I don't know who you are. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah but, but the, that's the funny thing about the Beeb is you just yeah. you tailgate the greats. I mean, the very first person I saw at Radio 2 was Terry Wogan. God right. rest his beautiful soul. And he just said, oh, Jerry, what, what brings you here? So it's such a lovely, I said, yeah, it's kind of my mum and dad or, you know, I don't know really. <laughs> um, it's just an amazing thing. So uh, I'm, I just... I suppose the most profound thing that was ever said to me was by Anna Ford, the newsreader, who said, just to drop another name, who said, we are the luckiest people in the history of the world. And it really made me think, I think if you're broadcasting, particularly news or BBC broadcasting, at this point, you're born lucky. And you, every single day is a bonus. So when, when, it, when I'm thrown out of a window, you too must remind me that I said I would take it well. <laughs> we were, I'll rec I've got it recorded, so that's why. Yeah, the only exactly. thing I am, the only thing I am disappointed with that was that you never did an Anna Ford impersonation then, because you did a really no. good Terry Wogan and a really good Robin <laughs> Day. I was just thought you might go for the hat trick there. <laughs> I did say I, I was interviewing her for Children in Need, and she's not somebody I know. This is going back five years, and I did say to her, "Did do the female newsreaders ever sort of get together in a in a closed space to just let their 
they're just they're passion out really about the whole situation. She said, Jeremy, don't let your fantasies run away with you. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't referring to that sort of thing at all. <laughs> I think that says more about her mind than yours, I think. <laughs> so did you find it easy going from TV into radio then, Jeremy? It was it was a really odd jump between two tall buildings in a way, because Newsnight obviously is very much you know, there's a big crash of symbols and the presenter appears and he's going to shake up the world, he or she. Uh, it was in the, it was a little bit pre-social media this, so I was I was very much the third presenter, Paxton, Kirsty Walk and me. Um, and then you go into radio too. And radio, daytime radio is a conversation. TV's an announcement, radio's a conversation, TV is squash, radio is snooker. So they were different. I had to adjust quite a bit. Um, and play records, you know. And the funny thing was, my mum, when I was about 12, 13, I said to my mum, I really want to be a DJ. And she said, don't, don't, look, do follow it, because she was always very encouraging, but be aware it's probably not how you're going to earn a living. Yeah. And then, so age, <laughs> age 37, I say, guess what? I've just played Bruce Springsteen, I got paid for it. So, <laughs> and so you with your oh. tracks when, on your show every day. Did I what, sorry? You get to choose many tracks that you play. Do you know, it's funny, I, I, I'm asked that question a lot, and the answer is that when I arrived, I thought this was great, I was going to play Pink Floyd the whole time. And after about a week, I exhausted my own CD collection. Now, I know you'd think that I, you'd bring in at least one or two songs a day, but when you're doing five shows a week and two hours a day on the air, you're quite happy to leave it to, it was Colin, now it's Michael and Gary, who, who plot the various shows. As to whether it's personal to me, I play about probably maybe 11, 12 records a day and they give me 19. So the seven that I take out expresses a choice in a way. Um, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think what I would take out. Probably better not say, actually. um, (laughs) So there's a bit of surgery going on there. And also occasionally I meet Michael or Gary and they they say, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? They know I love Joy Division and the Smiths. Once in a while, they'll give me Love Will Tear Us Apart. They're always putting in this charming man. They know I adore Bowie. I, can't, I couldn't play. I, I mean, I'd happily play Bowie every day. So they they program it around me. You can hear Ken Bruce's music is different, but that doesn't mean he chooses every record. It's because that the, the guys who do that are very good at it. The thing is also with, with Radio Two. Radio Two now is my Radio One, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, somebody in my so you know yeah. sort of late sort of mid late forties fifties the music that you play is the music that I would listen to when I was 18, 19 on Radio 1. So it's like, it's the best radio station what, around. So what year were you born now? Uh, 1969. Oh, right. Okay. So you're, we're almost there. I was 1965. Yeah. Do you want to go, Neil? Tell us. I'm 1972. You young okay. boy. <laughs> so you were born, Neil, crucially, the thing you must know is you were born the year the greatest debut album in the history of rock music came out, which is, if you leave out the Sex Pistols, it's Roxy Music's first album, which is 1972. Incredible. Brian Ferry at his absolute best. So we were born, I think, I think that's all quite good timing because I think we hit that sweet spot between 77 and 82 where you get punk, new wave, new romantic, Smiths, Elvis Costello, some incredible music, you know. Yeah. It's very, I, I, this is the thing I struggle with. But I'm worried that at a certain point, all you do is you listen to the music you listen to when you're 17. We know how powerful that is. And then do you then just simply get into an echo box? And by, by the time I'm 80, all I'm going to be doing is listening to Elvis Costello's second album all year, <laughs> which is the greatest album ever made. So I try, I really try to listen. I was listening to a lot of Drake recently and stuff. Even that makes me sound like I'm 40 because he's probably not very 
very cool anymore. But I'm trying to stay with it, but it's hard. It's really hard because that Very thing that which we all have, which is to say it was better in my day, is so powerful. Mm. Well, I have to say, my my youngest is 19. And um, when it was his, part, his birthday party, of, uh, oh, this was a few weeks ago. I say party. It was like him and, and us listening to his music. I couldn't stick it. I couldn't stand it. I, I just couldn't get. I couldn't get my head into it because it. And I know I was saying things that my dad said to me when yeah. I was listening to Adam and the Ants and like that. And saying, "Well, this isn't music." Oh God, they don't even write proper songs anymore. And I thought, "Oh my God, I'm saying exactly the same things that my dad said to me." And it made you realise that. I think 80s is the best music ever. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. I just think... It might, yeah. I see it as being, basically, you go Elvis and then you go Beatles and the Stones. Then you get prog rock, Genesis and, and Roxy Music and T-Rex and Bowie. And then you're bridged into punk and then you get the Smiths and it all comes to an end, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing after that. I mean, I did my best with Britpop, with Blur, Oasis, Pulp and Suede. But none of that, is, even, even that amazing Morning Glory album, none of them are really stuck with me, I must say. But then again, your dad would have the great defence that maybe the greatest living songwriter is Bob Dylan, you know, mm. if you're looking at solo song. And so I think people who say 60s music is the best, I've got a lot of sympathy with, I must say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. had a crazy, I must tell you, because I love music. And I, I when the kids were very young, the, the key band to introduce them to, first of all, is the Beach Boys, because nobody, and ABBA, you know, because no, when you're, you're three or four years old, you get it completely. So we had the Beach Boys on in the car and everything. And, um, as some, I said to someone already here too, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and see a Beach Boys tribute band so I can actually at least take them and hear the music in a room. And they said, oh, no, funny enough, I think they're coming to play for Radio 2. This is 10 years ago. I said, you're joking. They said, yeah, there's some sort of Radio 2 in concert thing. And it was unbelievably the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, Mike Love on vocals, um, Al Jardine, is it, the, the guitarist? But basically it was the band, as many of them as were alive. And I think it was their almost last performance. And we went to the Mermaid Theatre. So these, these are, you know, it's obviously very lucky to get tickets. It's a Radio 2 thing. I'm, you know, don't ever take that for granted. But we go into the Mermaid Theatre and everyone there is 72 years old, right? <laughs> Except for my two kids who are six and eight. And they know, and, they, and we sit in the front row and they sing every, every line to Little Deuce Coop. And I can see Mike Love really thinking, oh my God, they know my record. And it was the most thrilling thing for me. Oh, That's fantastic. fantastic. That is. On your, on, on your show, Jeremy, covering all those range of topics, do you ever get a topic where you're not that invested in? Do you know what I mean? Oh, not invested. No, I um, uh, you know, I think it may be a failing, but I'm interested in, in everything that moves. I think literally. I mean, I just, I really, really am. I'm just trying to think. I, I thought you were going the other way with that, which is things that I'm too invested in. But because um, then at that point, I, I, I get involved in a way I shouldn't. But I, as not in, let me just think. I mean, with the worst item we ever did was that someone had gone in a cab and the driver had been saying it's a brilliant cab. It's electric. And he would obviously talked about it in a really exciting way. And they said, we've got to have him on. So we ended up with this. A, we try to stay out of London. So we've got a London cab driver talking about how good his cab is. <laughs> and at the end, I said, that's, that's the worst item we've ever done. <laughs> I mean, it was not. And it was also, of course, in the studio, people change. So sometimes somebody who's very entertaining in the cab, it's his first time on the radio. He's, you know, he's, he's being careful with it. He's, someone's giving him a few messages to read out about we are very good at our jobs or whatever. And the whole thing was a washout. So there was that. That's probably unfair to mention that. It wasn't his fault. 
Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm into it. Is that bad? I mean, my hero is Peter Snow, who had there's so much enthusiasm. And I think that's the key thing is, are you enthusiastic? No, I think that's absolutely great. I mean, do you, you're involved in picking the subjects every day, are you? Um, less so now that I do my Channel 5 show in the morning. I used to come to the Radio 2 morning meetings because I worked on the theory that if the presenter doesn't come to the morning meeting, he, she can't express opinions when the producers choose the wrong stories. I've now switched that around and I said, if I don't go to the morning meeting, I'm in a better position to express an opinion. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> so I come from Radio, Channel 5, which we do, you know, 90s, 10.30s, with a bit of a pre-recorded bit at the end. And then I come to Radio 2 and, and I arrive there about 11. And what I do actually, I feed in stuff. Um, I mean, today, for example, we were talking about Corona and I just, and I wouldn't be saying let's do this today or tomorrow, but I just try and feed in stuff that I think we should be covering and we'll get to it. So I was just saying we should do the situation in the USA with coronavirus, which is fascinating. Mm. I mean, just today they had 77,000 new cases. It's the, it's the record for the world. Mm. And they've just messed the whole thing up completely. So... You know, and stories come my way, you know, we could we could turn something like this into a story about, you know, have you got one particular programme you're obsessed with? And the joy of Radio 2 is it's so conversational, it's so relaxed, and we don't you don't need much in a way of starter material because the listeners just pile in to almost every story. Today we did an item on pylons, you know, are being removed from Snowdonia because they're ugly, they're going to run the cables under the ground. Are you upset by that? And, and, you know, believe it or not, people ring up and they don't, uh, they love pylons. So someone <laughs> rings, uh, you know, goes out walking. I love to see a pylon. I love the shape. <laughs> it's like the Eiffel Tower. Just think the, the, there's so many people with so many views on everything. It's amazing. Mm. I was going to say, with the times that we're living in and you throw out words like Trump and coronavirus and Boris and Brexit, and also you have social media where everybody now has a voice doing the shows that you do, is it a more exciting time to do those kind of things? Or, or is it more, because it's very divisive out there now on social media, you're sort of putting your head above the parapet a bit more, or are you sort of levelling the playground a little bit? I'm not, I mean, it's a great time to be a journalist because at the moment we're in, if, if we're talking about the corona moment, we're in the biggest story since the Second World War, no question. So that's massive. I, I call it the era of TBCLC, which is Trump. Brexit, coronavirus, and Leicester City winning the Premiership. So everything, everything yeah. you don't expect happening at once. Yeah. And and why we've got the unexpected happening all down the line. I mean, the election of Trump is a classic example. It's absolutely extraordinary. Is is really interesting. And I think it's because of a general rejection of experts that's powered by social media. I think we decided that, you know, as broadcasters, we want to hear from astronauts who've actually walked on the moon, not from astronomers who've just looked at it from a distance. And for years, we've been booking the astronomers. Um, the trouble with the astronauts is they haven't actually always got perspective. They know where the Earth is. They know which planet they're on. But, um, I know it's a great time to be a journalist. I think the... Uh, it's funny, actually, you mentioned social media because we were talking just by coincidence in, in the office about, about Jimmy uh, Young leaving. And, and, I was, and we were talking about how much has changed in the 17 years since I started doing the Radio 2 show. And we, we agreed that social media is the main thing. So mm. the, day, the day I arrived at Radio 2, I did my show and the Evening Standard did a news piece on it. And the headline was Jeremy Vine's first day. And the first complaint comes after 14 minutes. <laughs> and that's supposed to be amazingly quick, you know. Whereas now, it would be for, literally before seconds, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So you'd be getting off within the moment of you opening the fader. And that's the big change. But I don't mind it. I mean, I have a presence on social media, but I, I try to stay out of personal arguments. And, and I'm just, you can see my penny farthing here. I'm sort of acutely conscious that I must stay in the analog world as well, which is the world of drum kits and penny farthings. And we, we could all go online for 25 hours a day and it doesn't do us any good. Is your show something that does get a lot of complaints? Yeah, what did we have the other day? Um, it, was a, it was a brilliant one that somebody said, I wear two hearing aids and the music is too loud. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to deal with that. Um, we've had a, yeah, we, we get a duty log, which where people call in to complain about the show. And it's, it's, it's an absolute festival to read it. I mean, I think the, the classic one we get the whole time is why, when you've got a young family, are you staying on to broadcast during Steve Wright's show and making such stupid remarks? And the answer for the umpteenth time is, it's not me, it's an impersonator, Lewis McLeod from Dead Ringers, who appears in Steve Wright's show goes, and does an impression of me, which I can't do, which is something <laughs> like, you know, call us now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. I'm chuffed. I'm complimented. But it, it causes a lot of people who listen, <laughs> you know, often pensioners get in touch saying, you know, you should be going home to your family and I have to write back, you know, it's actually not me. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, we do. Yeah, sure. And, of course, we get complaints. And the classic social media thing is that, I suppose, if you look at the majority, if you take a story like Shamima Begum, social media would be quite liberal on that. The audience would be quite um, hardline. So, so you, you just need to be aware that I think probably, I know it's boring, but impartiality is good for business, actually. Not, if, if I don't give a view away, the show is safe. So when it comes also to your, your, your Channel 5 show, how hard, again, is it to be impartial when there's certain arguments going on? Well, there, I, I do try not ever sort of put a card on the table. I mean, if I was to say... Uh, you know, the Liberal Democrats are great or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I can't ever take it back again. But I could, if the Liberal Democrats are going through a revival, I can say a lot of people at the moment are saying the Liberal Democrats are great. Mm. You know, and you can say it without, without investing yourself in the comment. But yeah, I mean, today, the classic one I struggle with is cycling because I cycle everywhere. Like, I just came in literally just before we started off, off my bike. And, um, you know, people, the audience are quite, speaking about being hard line quite authoritarian on cycling. I mean, they want the cyclists to wear number plates and ride at a certain speed and never go through red lights or on the pavement. Okay, that's fine. And I find myself bristling the whole time at this. And, I, and of course, then it gets... And I, so today we did a story about, is it right for cyclists to film drivers who break the law? And everyone just rings up and says, not until they're wearing license plates. Right. So I want to say, wait a second, stop the show right now. Of the 548 people killed on pavements, on pavements in the last 13 years, 542 were killed by motor vehicles. So stop going on about cyclists <laughs> on the pavements. This is not the problem. The problem is our driving car, you see, and I'm, I'm off. And suddenly I'm a guest on my own show. So that's what I have to be a bit wary of. I agree. It's, it's, it's such a hard, it must be, there must be times though when you're sat there and then two people are having an argument and you just want to go look just that no i don't agree with that at all get off my show <laughs> no i would never do that do no you know what i feel that just but you must the, you, the, you might want to yeah surely. <laughs> so sometimes but i what i like i just like the argument i mean we had a classic one 
the other day, and it was Carol Malone and Femi Oluwole, and it was about the Bristol statue. Should you pull down? I the, saw the that Bristol one. Statue? Right. Mm. And, and Carol says, yes, you should pull it down because it's not supposed to be there. And Femi then says, well, what about Banksy's painting the tube? And Carol says, well, that's different. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, now it's not for me to say you're wrong or you're right. It's just for me to sit back and enjoy the argument, mm. you know. And but Carol, she, bless her, did, she made yeah. quite a bad twist of that one, yeah. And she did change her mind at the end. She went, oh, she actually, did. no, I am wrong about that. I'm sorry. And I thought, <laughs> I know. that was that so refreshing. It was so refreshing to see somebody actually yeah. say, I'm sorry about my opinion. That was great. I yeah, really... and I think, for, you know, I, I don't like presenters who think their opinion is important and step into the argument too much. And I think that in the end, it's a small price for me to pay is in exchange for the best jobs in the world. It's just not to give my views a lot. And also I think if, I, if you know what I'm thinking about things before I even wake up in the morning, that's quite dull. Mm. So I'd like to be a little bit of a close book on that stuff. And there's two areas actually where I'm very careful, are party politics and the Middle East. I think they're it's really a good idea to just actually just watch and not take part. Mm. So you've got, sorry, that's still a bit serious, hasn't it? No, you know, no, that's good. Podcast about <laughs> but it is, yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, where does the impartiality thing? People are always saying, "How do you keep your views to yourself?" And I say, "Look, you can have values, but you can't have views." So I hate litter. It's fine for me to say that, but I can't say Britain's hospitals are too dirty mm. because that's political. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as a, bur- a burger wrapper drifts into a hospital, that's political. <laughs> so I, that's where the line is. It's a very fine line. <laughs> well, in, in your um, career, you've got to interview some absolutely amazing people yourself. Is there anybody left that you'd really like to interview? Yeah, I'd really like to interview, um, well, I'd love to interview the guy who did the man on wire. You know, the guy who went on the, the trip the yeah. between the Twin Towers. Yeah. He's a Frenchman. He's alive. He's my hero, Philippe Petit. Um, I'd love to meet him because he was so close to death when he did that. I still can't believe he did it. And mm. and love to interview him. The other one is that guy. I think his name's Andrew Wiles, who was um, the, the the Cambridge mathematician who proved Fermat's last theorem. So he did some amazing proof. There was a brilliant horizon on it made by Simon Singh. And uh, the reason I'm, I, my dad died a couple of years ago, my dad was a mathematician. And when he was in hospital, he was, you know, Parkinson's was very ill. But uh, the one time I had his full attention for half an hour was I brought that um, program in on my iPad and we watched it together. And he just, he was just lost in the mass of it. It was just an incredible moment. And I'd love to meet Andrew Wiles and tell him that. You know, like these classic boffins, I think Philip Petit, Andrew Wiles are similar. They're not very visible on social media stuff. They don't mm. need it. You know, no, they've no. done the amazing thing. They're going to be remembered forever. And they're not bothered. And I, I kind of love that, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Impressive, I must admit. Right, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz now, Jeremy. Okay. Uh, we're going to play Kerry or Curtain. I'm going to give you a line of dialogue. You need to right. tell me if it was Kerry or Curtain. We've got five to do. So here we go. Okay. Number one, the car's the wrong way round. Right. Was that Kerry or Curtain? I'm pretty sure, I, I know exactly what was happening here. They were, they were driving into a close and it was the vicar's car. They'd gone off in it, I think, and the vicar wasn't looking. I reckon it must have been Kerry who was driving and therefore Curtin who said it. Uh, other way round. It, ah! it was Curtin that was driving and it was Kerry that said it. Uh, okay, so that's the first one. Uh, number two, her feet are like two blocks of spam. <laughs> Now, that's not Kirsten talking about Kerry. 
I think that's probably Kerry talking about her mother. Uh, that was Curtin talking about Kerry's mother. <laughs> in, <laughs> in office space. I'm close with these. I'm, I'm loving the way you're dissecting them all and just not quite getting it the right way around. Okay, no, number, but I'm close. That's good. It is. Number three. We'll be sat on a seat with Deborah Meaden, and that's that. We'll be sat on a seat with Deborah Meaden, and that's that. Sounds like some sort of quote about being an entrepreneur or something. Um, but what are we associating Deborah Meaden with here? That's odd. I always do think it's The Apprentice. Okay, let's say that it is. So they're going for The Apprentice. I'm going to, I've got to go. That Tonally, to me, that sounds more like Curtin than Kerry. That was Kerry <laughs> in the King of the Nerds episode. Yes, that's that's when she uh, she started the Eternal Vitality uh, drinks, and she thought she was yeah, going to yeah. be this amazing entrepreneur uh, and be rubbing shoulders with Deborah Meaden. Right, zero out of three, Jeremy. Oh my goodness! Uh, zero out of three. Oh, no, we still got. Yeah, we still. You can still. I need turn. Anna. Anna, are you there, darling? Anna. Oh, she can't rescue me. She's upstairs. Okay. Oh, uh, number four. Yeah. He he looks like a laugh here, but in real life, he's a nasty old bastard. Right. I know who that is. It's absolutely Curtin, without a question. And I think he's talking about the guy, the old bloke on the computer. Yeah, that's, that's Kerry uh, in Steam Fair talking about grumps. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not Len? Is it not Len? No, no. It, she's um, it's her birthday, and she's waiting to get some <laughs> some Facebook messages. And there's her picture of her grumps, and uh, that's that. So that's zero out of four. I now want to get five wrong out of five. <laughs> I'm really worried I'm going to get this one right. Well, I'll tell you what. If this one, try and answer incorrectly and see if you get it right. Yeah, Here we go. That's so number the method, Yeah. Number five. Well, there <laughs> she is in all her glory. Okay, let me just think. It's not talking about a human being there. Um, there she is in all her glory. Just what, what's he talking about there? He's found something. Uh, it sounds to me like it's Curtin, and therefore I'm going to go Kerry. It is Curtin. So congratulations. <laughs> you got that wrong. So that's zero out of five. For the presenter That's of the Eggheads. <laughs> it's been a while since nobody's got um, one of those right, because it is 50 50. It is just I a 50 50. I wish I had Anna. Anna would have got them. I'm telling you. It would have been interesting to see what Anna would have said as well, to, yeah. whether she'd have been the same. But zero out of five, in a way, that's almost like a badge of honour to wear. I think that's very much the sort of score they would get. They would be proud of me. Very <laughs> 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 That's so good. That's well, so talk, good. <laughs> talking back about Kerry and Curtin, Jeremy, um, obviously Series 3 was the final series, or so they think. If they were to do a 10-year sort of anniversary one like Gavin and Stacey did, where would you see Kerry and Curtin? In 10 years' time, that's a very good question. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking what age they are. I suppose they're probably 30, let's say. No, maybe 20, 20, no, like younger, 25. I mean, you've got to, I just would try to avoid Kerry as the single mum. You know, I think mm. that's the, I think what the ideal is with one of them needs to be doing far better than we expect. So maybe Kerry has married a genuinely lovely farmer and she's working on the farm and she's become, you know, satisfied with her life. And then Kerry's the one, Curtin's the one who's still struggling or hanging off the coattails a bit. 
I don't want to see either of them suffer. I mean, I, fundamentally, they're both good people. I know sometimes Curtin behaves terribly with Kerry and, and he's horrible to her, like when he stole her shoe. <laughs> and try and threw it on a train <laughs> to Paddington, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think so. I'd like so so. Kerry married to a farmer with two children and a lot better off than we think. But Curtin struggling, I think, is the answer. That'd be quite a nice dynamic. It'd be a different, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't I, I, I never thought. I never thought of Kerry with a with like a farmer. What was his name? Farmer Jenkins's son. Look, and they. What they, was the? Was there was an episode in the third series where? Curtin is starting to look. He said there's planning permissions being given for flats in a field. And he start, He goes into the field to look and they get into incredible detail. The toilet will be here. Yeah, I think that's, oh, one, they, of the, that's one of the um, deleted episodes, uh, deleted oh. scenes from the last episode. Because that, isn't that when Kerry says that she wants to use the toilet? So she decides to, to have that's a pee it, in the yeah, field. And, and Curtin says, There's nothing I can't have that you can't piss on. Every time you've got. <laughs> <laughs> drops her, drops her tracksuit bottoms in the middle of the field because that's where his toilet is going yeah, yeah. to be. That's it. But they do mention yeah, so that you might want to give him some sort of place to live. We never really see where Curtin lives, do we? Strangely, he doesn't live with Kerry, does he? Or he doesn't, no, does he, he lives. He lives now. with Curtin's nan. Now that was the other question I was going to ask. I don't know if you can remember that episode. We actually do see Curtin's nan with her face like pixelated out. I don't know if you can okay. remember that. No, um, is that series one? No, that's series three. That's series oh, three. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. that's, that's odd. I must have, I must have, obviously I've seen it, but I just, I just can't remember that. Yeah, I kept the, thinking we were going to have an appearance from Kerry's mother by the end of series three. Ah, uh, right. Um, yeah, but the, the, the big mystery is that they've never said who plays Curtin's mum, apart from that yeah. it's, it's an A-lister. So that, that's what they've said. Oh. And, and, and we believe that it's, um, oh God, what's, I forgot Tilda the lady. Swinton. Tilda Swinton, that's who we think it is. You're joking, seriously. Yeah, you need yeah. to watch it because you hear her but, and you hear her talk, but you can't see her face. So it's, and, I, and once you think Tilda Swinton, like I've said a million times, you can't see anybody else, really. Uh, but it's, it's such a strangulated voice. Get me, Santi! <laughs> oh, no, this is, this is, no, this is Curtin's nan, not Kerry's mum. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Kurt, oh, sorry, Curtin's sorry, Curtin's nan. Kerry's Ker- yeah. mum is, is Daisy doing the voice. I thought it was Daisy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so what other things have you? I mean, I was going to say, what other things have you got that you're working on? I mean, there isn't any time literally in the well, day for you to do other stuff, is there? No, do you know, I'm glad you asked me that because that enables me to say I'm, I've got a book coming out in September, and the the book is about. Oh, let me just see. Hang on, I, I might be able to show you. Right, just one second. Let, okay. Just, just give yeah, me no ten, ten seconds. Here. No problem. So you know, you mentioned um, you mentioned eggheads, right? And Eggheads is filmed in Glasgow. And when I, uh, we had a question in Eggheads. Oh, I'll give you a question here, see if you can get this. I bet you will. Which artist did the lobster telephone? Salvador Dali, wasn't it? Correct. Brilliant. So I, so in, in Glasgow, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well done. Thank you. So um, they, and we had little chat as we do on the Eggheads. And the quizzes were saying a few things about Salvador Dali. I said, oh, he's a really interesting artist. I don't know him very well. And they said, oh, there's a painting, a famous painting of his in the Kelvin Grove Museum in Glasgow. So the next time I had a day off, and we only had one day off in 14 doing that show. We do five episodes a day. It was quite tough. But I went and saw this painting. I was just blown away by it. And I got, I've got a copy of it here, actually. And I thought, and, and so I, was, I looked, it's a real, really amazing. You don't expect Dali to do something like this, right? But, um, there we are, sorry. It's, it's, not, it's basically sort of very, very perspective weird, Christ on the cross. And... Um, on the wall, it said this little plaque, which said that in order to paint the body like that, Dali had to get a 
a very famous stuntman to pose for him, and he hung him from the ceiling of his studio. And the stuntman was called Russell Saunders. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do a book about this. And my, in my book, the stuntman walks out because he's just not prepared to do this. And Dali instead, as a substitute, gets a waiter at the local hotel to do it, who is the love interest of my heroine, and he breaks him. Wow. Now, I'm going to have to work out a way of not describing it without doing a spoiler like that. So no. I'm still at the very early stages of book publicity. Okay. So is it is it available for pre-order in that, is it? Is it on Amazon? It's, it's out. Hodder publishing it. It's out in September, yes. I'm just about, I just did my first interview about it um, a couple of days ago with Alan Titchmarsh for a programme that's going out in October. But essentially, yes, yeah, so I, I've, it's been a real, you know that thing where you, re, you, you know you want to write something, you're not sure what it is. And this, this plot came to me, I got really into it. Just the idea of Dali doing this painting and just the way that the artist is so utterly brutal. He's just going to, it doesn't care who dies on the way, you know. Um, and it's a fascinating period. You know, Dali, as you, you'll know him for all the melting clocks and all that stuff, but this was later in his career. He decided to do something a bit more classical, 1951. So it's all interesting history, yeah. Wow. A love story, though. A love story. A love story. Indeed. I was going to say, just quickly, Jeremy, that's given you the bug to quickly uh, to get on and write more, has it? Yeah, I mean, I would love to write novels because I love reading. I just I read, I do a lot of Audible when I'm on my bicycle, and I must never say that on the air, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I love to write, but everyone wants to write, you know, and, and I think stories are... And I think, actually, what, what I'd love to do is to, to write books where you take a historical event and you sort of play off it, you know. So mm-hmm. the other day, and, and Eggheads was great for this, we'd be finding out stuff the whole time. So here's another question for you. What was the halfway to hell club? Any any association you can give me, the halfway to hell club? Why does that sound familiar? Half, it was, it's to... a hard question. It's where, The very first health and safety they had really on a massive construction project was, was after people started building the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, and they started falling off it, and they would die because it's 700 feet down to the water and so they put a safety net in and and there were about a dozen men who fell into the safety net and they called themselves the halfway to hell club oh my god how good is that that's amazing oh god that's such a that would be such a great starting point for a book you know that is and talking of love stories as well um i did mention this in a tweet to you that my mum loves you (laughs) so so is there is there any chance you could give my mum sue a shout out because she will be listening to this podcast oh Oh, absolutely um sue listen i'm really i've had such a great time here thank you for for listening or watching or whatever it is you do um i'm only doing my job because you're listening and and watching so i really appreciate it thank you sue oh i'm gonna be the best son ever now (laughs) (laughs) yes and and to jenny as well oh Oh. jenny okay hi jenny (laughs) thanks for being on board uh, jeremy thank you so much for spending some time with us it's been a real pleasure it really has thank you so much Pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, and and we'll we'll put a link to the uh, to your book. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, in the show oh, thank notes. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, we'll do that for you. Um, uh, so all we can say, if you're ever in the Cotswolds, we'll happily buy you a pint in the Key booth. Yes, we'll oh, we'll, we'll, we'll take you I and we'll get... <laughs> we'll go and see Kerry and uh, Kurt. You know, and, that's uh, a great offer. I'll, ta- I'll bring Anna and we'll go and see <laughs> some of the locations. We'll, ta- we'll, we'll, we'll take you for a little tour around North Leach. How about that? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> we'll do that. Jeremy, thank you again. Uh, it's I'm been a real to pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks so much. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, oh, nice. Right. Um, I'll go, Neil, if you want to go and finish your... Yeah. Uh,
Absolutely. So if you want to find us on all the social media sites, give us a like, give us a click, give us a follow. Go to WTAFTC pod. Um, if you want to email us, you can ask us anything or talk to us or got any questions, email us at WTAF this country hotmail oh, at hotmail.com. Got the at. Important. <laughs> it is. And uh, we have our own website where you find everything that we do on there, including tickets for our live show, which has been now pushed forward to next year on May the 28th at WTAFpodcast.com. That's right. And you can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash WTAF uh, and become a Patreon bozo. There's loads of different rewards. Uh, just go there and get all the details. Or you can buy us a coffee. Just go to ko-fi.com forward slash WTAFTC pod. And uh, that's another way of supporting the podcast. So once again, a thank you, a big thank you to Mr. Jeremy Vine. Uh, mm. Yes, and thank you very much, Neil. I've got some potatoes I've got to go and put. <laughs> Have you really? Wonderful. They be no Charlie Large potatoes, are you? <laughs> Albert Bartlett. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, everybody. Now go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. <laughs> Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything Podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.